to remind people who we are in case they don't like know and they think we just have no credentials. I mean, I have no credentials. You have, <laughs> you have credentials. <laughs> Congresswoman Betty McCollum introduced yet another bill that would support Palestinian human rights. You know who's number two? Money from APAC? Ted yeah. Cruz. What an idiot. Trips to Cancun don't fund themselves. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know who number one is in 2020? Joe Biden, over $3 million. Hey, what we can say about Israel, they don't underpay people. Well, not everybody's making $3 million. No, but what I'm saying is when they bribe people, they bribe yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. It's the Palestine pod. Palestine pod. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where a Palestinian-American lawyer and a Jewish-American comedian break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You may know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? My name is Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram, and Mikey Intifada if you log on to the internet to support oppression every day. <laughs> that was a good one. You like that? How I referred to it's it? It's a little bit different than weird. the usual, but it's yeah. fine. Yeah, I just, you know to remind people who we are in case they don't like know and they think we just have no credentials i mean i have no credentials you have <laughs> you have credentials <laughs> my credentials are they mutilated my genitals at birth and uh i was raised in that community <laughs> i feel like that's credentials oh it, yeah yeah me too fam <laughs> All right. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review if you can. These small gestures have a huge impact and allow our podcast to reach more people. So if you have not already done so, please go ahead, like, comment, subscribe wherever you are tuning in from. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get in involved in the conversation, please reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com or engage with us on our Instagram at the Palestine Pod. We would love to hear from you all. Oh, let's start off this week with some good news, huh? Let's do that. Laura, yes. take it away. <laughs> so earlier this week, Congresswoman Betty McCollum introduced yet another bill that would support Palestinian human rights. In this case, the bill would bar U.S. aid to Israel from being used to violate Palestinian rights. The bill specifically bans U.S. aid from funding certain realities of the Israeli occupation, like house demolition, settlement expansion, and detention of children. The bill has been described as one of the boldest efforts by Congress to ensure that the U.S. is no longer complicit in Israel's crimes. There are 13 original sponsors on the bill. So this is huge, monumental news. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, we're seeing a bill being proposed to condition aid to Israel in our lifetime. Just think about how far the conversation on Palestinian rights has moved in the last few years. It's a reintroduction of a bill that she introduced in 2019 that had 24 yes. co-sponsors originally, but it died in, I believe, committee. It died somewhere in a back room as they do. I think, yeah, it got stuck in the Foreign Affairs Committee, and I'm not sure what happened to it beyond that. Right. They took it into a smoky room, shot it in the back of the head, never saw it again. <laughs> Anyways... <laughs> What we I did. Love that. The smoky what, room. It gets me every time. I'm well, sorry. They, I just love they it. They do that. They do that a lot. There's a lot. It's of, most smoky. of the rooms in Congress are actually filled with smoke. There's only one room <laughs> that has no smoke, and that's where they cast the votes. That's the C SPAN room. Right. That's where they show you. Yeah. Everybody's just come out from being beat. I love her tweet. Did you see her tweet yeah. earlier this week? I'll put it up. You don't have to put it on your phone. Yeah, but I want to read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just thought you were going to show the camera no. um, like a grandmother. <laughs> I thought no. you were literally about to do what my grandmother does and be yeah. like, did you see this? <laughs> the article? Okay, so first of all, I absolutely love what she did. So she sent single tweets to every co-sponsor of the bill, specifically thanking them for yep. signing on to the bill. That was amazing. 
I, I think it's important for us to shout out the people who actually sponsored this bill because yes, some of them, some of them we would expect others probably not. And I think all of them deserve the recognition for this really critical move. So Bobby Rush from Illinois, Danny Davis, also from Illinois, Andre Carson from Indiana, Marie Newman, also from Illinois, Ilhan Omar, obviously, Mark Pokan, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yeah. Raul Grijalva from Arizona, Rashida Tlaib, obviously, Shouts out, Ayanna Rashida. Presley. Shouts out, Ayanna. Corey. Yes, Corey Bush. Very good. From Missouri. Jamal Bowman, New York. AOC, also New York. And Jesus Garcia, Illinois. A lot of people from Illinois. My home state. I love it. And what's great about the bill also is that it was also supported by 75 organizations, including Palestinian human rights organizations, U.S.-based uh, groups as well that are led by Palestinian Americans, Muslim Americans, and also um, other solidarity groups. A ton of Jewish activist organizations as well. Yeah, the bill is actually also being supported by J Street. So this oh. is the first time that a liberal Zionist organization has publicly backed a legislative initiative that seeks to condition weapons to Israel. I mean, J Street still considers themselves Zionist. They haven't made the leap yet like Jewish Voice for Peace has. So, yeah, I'm actually surprised to hear that they're a sponsor. Yeah, but I mean, this 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 is just further proof that this should not be controversial, right? If J Street, which still considers itself in the realm of liberal Zionism, whatever you know, whatever that means, whether or not you think that that's even possible, that's like biodegradable bullets, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a different subject. It's like whether or not you think that you can still call yourself a Zionist, but still support Palestinian human rights. And I do think that, that we have to talk about that as well, because I have noticed a shift in the rhetoric ever since probably the Trump administration and the shift in public opinion towards supporting Palestinian human rights. I feel like a lot of the Zionist rhetoric has tried to water itself down and say, no, 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 you can still be a Zionist, but support Palestinian human rights. And the two are not, um, you know, mutually exclusive. You could be like, I am a <laughs> fierce lion supporter, but I'm also very yeah. pro gazelle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. And I would argue that there really is no space for any form of Zionism if you do support Palestinian human rights, because the aim of Zionism is to privilege Jewish rights in the land of Palestine. And that will inevitably come at the expense of the indigenous population who is already there and whose rights have been infringed upon for 70 some years because of the implementation of the Zionist project. So that's a different yeah, even altogether. Even if you shrink Zionism to the definition that a lot of Zionists want to shrink it to right now, which is just Jewish self-determination in our ancient homeland. If that is your definition of Zionism, you're still displacing people. You are still right. kicking people out of their homes so that you can live there. Right. Even if you boil it down to their most palatable, it's still mm -hmm. ethnic cleansing. So just to conclude on HR 2590, it does come after several other efforts by Representative Betty McCollum to introduce legislation to support Palestinian rights. So in the last Congress, she had introduced a bill to make sure that U.S. funds do not support Israel's de jure annexation of Palestinian land in the West Bank. So we all remember this summer when Israel was talking about how it was intending to annex further land in the West Bank, and then it eventually gave up on that right around the time when it had signed all of those peace deals with countries that it was never at war with. And we all know that it doesn't really matter in any event, because while the land may not be de jure annexed, it is still de facto annexed, meaning that the reality on the ground is one where there is only one state on the ground. And depending on whether you are Jewish or Muslim or Christian on that land is what determines how many how much rights you have on that land. Yeah, so, it's not de giorno, it's apartheid. It's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. That is hysterical. Thank you so much. That's yeah. Great. 
you know what you'll like some and you won't like others that's how it's gonna go (laughs) that's so funny because yeah like i love that's like the perfect joke i love that (laughs) de jure annexation it's an international legal term for those who do not do not know it is formal annexation legal annexation meaning the actual incorporation of a piece of land into the sovereignty into the 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 land of another state yeah so and DiGiorno is a frozen (laughs) pizza company that thinks a lot of themselves (laughs) do you like it I feel like it's okay I don't I do not like DiGiorno no sometimes I yeah sometimes I'm the type of person who will make dough from scratch I'm not eating DiGiorno (laughs) wait me too I make dough from scratch too I, I bake pizzas regularly Oh my God, you make dough as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. The I pandemic love- turned me from a person who was like, I will find someone who has these skills and pay them to someone yeah. who's like, I should develop skills. Yeah. Yeah, I love making pizza. It's it's actually a lot easier than you think. What's your favorite pizza to make? Um, I I do a lot of the vegan toppings, like vegan chorizo, vegan this, vegan that. Like, I'm really into that kind of stuff. Also, I make a really good mushroom pizza with, like, creme fraiche and garlic and Yum. thyme. And, yeah, it's so good. Oh, my God. I'm so hungry. It's, like, almost time to eat. Oh, nice. What are <laughs> we'll y'all going to fast in, like, 10 minutes. What are y'all going to break fast with? I don't know. I made lentil soup yesterday, so we're going to have that. Lentil soup is a very traditional Palestinian Ramadan dish to break your fast with. Like after you have your date, you have your soup, it's so good. And then you can go into whatever else. But because you have been fasting all day, you only technically have space for like four bites before you're full. So it's like a very delicate balance of like, how much soup do I eat before I transition to what I'm actually supposed to be eating? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, It's tough. I'd be watching the clock those last few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> just hovering around the fridge. And if you're listening to the podcast really quickly, take some time, pause the podcast, call Betty McCullum's office, thank her, yes. call her Washington office, call her Minneapolis office or Minnesota office, wherever it is, call her and thank her. Let her know that you support this bill, HR 2590. Yeah. Def- it's called the Defending Human Rights of Palestinian children and families living under Israeli Military Occupation Act. Call your congressperson and tell them that you want them to co-sponsor Betty McCollum's bill that conditions aid to Israel. Let them know that you, a American citizen, a Palestinian American citizen, a Jewish American citizen, do not support the brutal occupation that is happening over there. And you do not want to see money that could go to marginalized communities inside the United States sent off to Israel so that they can buy weapons, so that they can bomb Gaza, which is happening right now. Yes, absolutely. HR 2590, call your reps, tell them to support it, tell them to sign on. There was, like I said, 13 co-sponsors to the bill already, and we need this bill to gain as much momentum as possible. Hopefully this is just the beginning, right? Hopefully this is just a sign of things to come. Yes. This is, like you said, she already introduced a version of this bill. She's come back really strong and built on the bill that she formerly introduced, expanding some of its uh, scope to include specifically house demolitions and settlement expansion. So targeting some of the other aspects of Israeli military occupation. So Sister Betty has... Really let's just let's shout her out really quickly and talk about the courage that it takes to introduce yeah. legislation like this. What do you think are some of the ramifications for standing up for Palestinian human rights in Congress? Well, we can definitely expect that the election that she's going to face, they're going to put a challenger that's going to be severely pro-Israel and flood that candidate with money to try to when you say they you mean apac you mean the yes, lobbies absolutely. that support absolutely if you look i'm 
you know, earlier this week, APAC tweeted, we oppose Betty McCollum's latest anti-Israel bill, which would condition aid to Israel, undermine U.S. interests and make peace less likely. So awkward. Like, what are you talking hey, about? Hey, shouts out APAC for being a beacon of peace. And then they, APAC goes on to say, we agree with Joe Biden, cuts or conditions on aid to Israel would be, quote, irresponsible, outrageous and a gigantic mistake. So then Betty fires back. She goes, APAC wants U.S. taxpayer dollars to Israel to be spent on abusing Palestinian human rights, imprisoning children, demolishing homes annexing Palestinian land, apparently they do. When I saw that she also claps back on Twitter, I was like, wow, Betty is who AOC thinks people are. Betty is the, Betty, (laughs) Betty is the (laughs) person, you you say it. (laughs) Betty is who people think AOC is. That's what I was trying to say, yeah. I love how she put the wants in asterisk. She's like, APEC wants to use this money to do all of these atrocious things. But she's amazing. She's super courageous. I, when I actually called and spoke to her office, they were very excited to receive the phone call. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, super excited. And they were like, please call your congressperson as well. And, I, you know, I did. And, and we'll see what he does. But My congresswoman is Karen Bass. And she was formerly a co-sponsor of the bill in 2019, but I did not see her name attached to this bill. So I called her office and let them know that I would appreciate her co-sponsoring this bill as she did previously. What did they say? They said that they would consider it and they relayed the message. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the people who answer phones are interns usually or like they'll be yeah, I mean, only paid, you know. They they can often staff. they can be they can be from interns to field representatives some people who are paid staff they have dedicated yeah, yeah, administrative yeah. people but they are not the people who are in the circles of influence they are just people who take down notes and pass them to yes. the circles of influence that said it's still very important to flood those phone lines flood those emails and let those people know that the people of the United States support Palestine, support Palestinians, because we've so rarely had an opportunity to show our support in the way of formal legislation, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost never introduced in a way that's favorable for us. We're always on the defense. We're always fighting these legislative acts. But this is one of the first instances in my lifetime where we get a chance to demonstrate our support for Palestine, to show how popular the cause of Palestinian human rights is among Americans, among Jewish Americans, Palestinian Americans, everyone. Yeah, everyone, really. I mean, this is a this is a moral issue that everybody should support. If you consider yourself a progressive, this is a this is this is an issue for all progressives. Right. No matter, you know, their their background. But I mean, I got the same response from my representative, Sean Caston. His office basically said, we don't know his position on this issue. And, you know, we'll take down your, you know, we'll take down this uh, information and we will be sure to relay it to him. So how could you possibly not know your congressperson who you work for's position on the issue of Palestine? Does anybody believe yeah. that? Does anybody <laughs> no. believe that? What that means, what they what they mean, and this is, I haven't been to law school, but this is me reading between the lines. What they mean <laughs> when they say we don't know his position is that he is either receiving money from APAC, in which case yeah. he's pro-Israel, or he recognizes the danger of speaking out in support of Palestine, in which case he's a silent observer to oppression. Yeah, he's, in which case he's morally weak and... I'm actually trying to see if he does get money from APAC. You know who's number two? Money from APAC? Ted Cruz. Yeah. Yeah. Ted yeah. Cruz. What an idiot. Uh, well, trips to Cancun don't fund themselves. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How much did he make? Like over $300,000. $360,000 in 2018 alone. Let's see 2020. Damn, that'll buy a lot of loyalty. You know who number one is in 2020? Joe Biden, over $3 million. Hey, they knew what was up. Over $3 million. Isn't that interesting that Joe Biden is the type of person to say we would create an Israel if there wasn't one, and then they hand him a nice little three mil in (laughs) one year. Hey, what we can say about Israel, they don't underpay people. Well, not everybody's making three million. 
No, but what I'm saying is when they bribe people, they bribe yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, they sure. they don't go in with a you know a bake sale. Yeah, no, they're not they're not giving brownies and cupcakes to these nah. senators. Yeah, so I mean, we we got to keep we got to keep uh, checking in on on how this story develops for sure, and 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 see you know where this bill goes and and who ends up supporting it and what type of response there is by the pro-Israel lobby, which is just having meltdowns as we speak. Yeah. They're just so upset right now. And it's just they like, are so much legitimately, joy from it. Oh, it's so great that's to watch I'm them freak. To, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, it's so great to watch them freak out on Twitter. They literally said something, and this is an example of how they pinkwash. They said, stop referring to Israel by the name of Palestine because you are dead naming it. As in like, when a person transitions from male to female, their male name is their dead name and their female name is their new name. And so they are trying to say, you can't say Palestine because it's the same thing as being transphobic. And then there was another person who tweeted like this whole link between Palestinians and black folks is artificial and created by like Russian anti-Zionist propaganda. Oh, and I was just like, it was a perfect time to plug the podcast. I said, Hey, we actually did an episode on this. Uh, check us out, palestinepod.com. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all our liberation <laughs> is linked. 3,000 downloads. What's up, Papa? Whoa, that that whole it's crazy. Palestine is the trans denial. I mean, they have yeah. outdone themselves with this analogy. Never mind that they blackmail people based on their sexuality. Yeah, they've really outdone themselves. Also, they're making it sound like Israel came out as in Palestine. Right. It's not a butterfly situation. This is not what happened. Yeah. At all. So it's it's very awkward. It's it's a it's an ill-fitting analogy. Canada's NDP endorses a ban on Israeli products from settlements and an arms embargo. Members of the Social Democratic Federal Political Party in Canada have voted overwhelmingly in favor of a boycott of products from illegal Israeli settlements in the occupied Palestinian territories, as well as an arms embargo on the Tel Aviv regime. Over the weekend, the New Democratic Party, NDP, members endorsed a motion brought forward by a coalition of Palestinian and Jewish activists, which called on the party to amend its policies to include an embargo on settlement goods as well arms sales to Israel. The decision came after years-long attempts within the party demanding that the NDP take a clear stance on Israel and Palestine. The adoption of this motion today was a result of a groundswell of support from massive grassroots membership. Amy Kishek, one of the lead organizers for justice and peace in Israel-Palestine resolution said at the NDP convention. She added, not only is this position hugely popular with the NDP membership, but it is something that is supported by the vast majority of Canadian labor movement, as well as the Canadian population at large. Switching gears, how's your Ramadan been? Yeah. Ramadan, it's... um. Ramadan Karim? Yeah, that's one of them. There's another one too. And Ramadan Mubarak. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's like moo, like a cow. Moo? Barak, like Barak. <coughs> but yeah, but it's more, it's not really Barak, like Barack Obama. It's like Mubarak. Mubarak. Mubarak, yeah. Mubarak. Ramadan. That was perfect, actually. Ramadan Mubarak. That was perfect. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's been good. I'm working from home. It's been a little bit more difficult this year than last year. I'm not sure why. Mm. Got maybe a little bit more going on. But I mean, you never get used to it, I think, is the thing that's tricky. I've been doing it since I was like, I don't even remember the first year that I did it. I must have been like 10 or 11. Was it something that your parents introduced to you or you saw that they were doing it and you followed suit? I don't even remember. I can't even remember like the decision to, I'm going to fast. But I do remember that when we were younger, we used to do half day fast, which just meant Mm. that we didn't eat from breakfast until lunch. Nice. (laughs) So like nothing was different. (laughs) But that's just mom asking for a break. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mom's like, yeah, You're no, fasting. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. religious. Yeah, exactly. Stop asking yeah, me for food. No, it doesn't get easier. That being said, I I will say that it's not as hard as people think. Yeah. You know, white people, they just, not even water, you know, they have a meltdown. They just, they can't even fathom. Well, as somebody who's been fasting out of solidarity, I got to say the not even water part is the hardest part. (laughs) (laughs) Not even water, you know? Yeah. Today is my first day doing full Ramadan fast where I have not had liquids. I have not had foods. Usually what I'm doing this past month has been like a sort of Ramadan light where I eat, or sorry, I don't eat food but I do drink water because I'm not really Muslim, baby. You feel me? I'm just out here. I'm just out here for the culture. The Zionists, trying to experience. Though, the Zionists will say that you're what? a secret Muslim. I feel oh, like that's... That's fine. I also fasted for yeah. Black August. They're going to tell me I'm a secret Black Panther. You know what I mean? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, care what they say. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. But the, but the point is, is like, it doesn't even matter even if you were. Yeah. You know? Do you remember yeah. when John McCain in a town hall yeah. and the woman stands up, she's very elderly. Bless her heart. She seems like she had good no. intentions. She, no. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say is that I really think she said this because she believed it. And I think she was just severely misinformed. But in any event, she goes up and she says, you know, I'm worried about Barack Obama. He's a Muslim. They're saying he's a Muslim. And what what did John McCain say at the time? Do you remember? I remember John McCain said, no, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's not a Muslim. He's a good man. He said, and he said he's a family man. Yeah. What? (laughs) And Muslims all around the world were like, We are literally the the last man standing when it comes to like traditional family values. <laughs> like we're the only people still getting married. You know what I mean? It was a clear delineation of white Christian values good, Islam yeah. brown people bad. bad. Right? Yep. It was Dead. very clear yeah. in her question that that's the mentality she'd been conditioned into because the American propaganda system is equally as strong as the Israeli propaganda system. Mm -hmm. And it was exposed that John McCain not only agrees with that framework, right, Mm -hmm. but perpetuates it in his answer. Yep. Yeah, that was that was horrible. Very bad response. Yeah. So shout out John McCain. You know what I mean? (laughs) Shout out that dead motherfucker. So quick reminder, last week we talked about Palestinian prisoners. I just wanted to highlight the fact that April 17th of each year, Palestinians do commemorate Palestinian Prisoner Day to express their loyalty and solidarity for those who are imprisoned as a result of Israel's occupation. Since the beginning of 2021, which has not been that, I mean, we what, it's been four months, Israel has already arrested nearly 1,400 Palestinians. Al Jazeera has also reported that 370-some jailed Palestinian political prisoners have been infected with the coronavirus. Real quick, I wanted to shout out Fatima Bernawi. She is the first woman who was ever arrested for Palestinian resistance. She was a Black female and Palestinian. Palestinian resistance fighter. And she served as the first female chief of the Palestinian Female Police Corps in Gaza. By 1996, she was the highest ranking female in Fatah and head of the women's section of the police in the Palestinian self-rule in the Gaza Strip and Jericho. Just another example of Black Palestinian history. She was the first young Palestinian woman to be arrested by the Israeli security forces and is the first woman prisoner listed in the records of the Palestinian women prisoners movement. So shout out to the dude who said that uh, black people and Palestinians have no shared bond. Yeah. (laughs) This is a black Palestinian woman. Yeah. What a nut. That guy, obviously. You know, what's funny. I actually live in a building with a lot of Orthodox Jews. Oh, really? uh, Have you spoken to them about Palestine? No, because they don't actually speak to me. Uh, I mean, like, I'll, like I, I will sometimes say, you know, hello. The, the, the old, especially the the older men, they don't they don't respond. Yeah. Do they but speak French okay. or do they speak? Uh, they have to because they've 
Right, but among themselves, have you ever heard them speak another language? No, I have not. Interesting. But I know that they're very observant because they leave the door open on Friday nights to our apartment building. Like, you know. Because they can't touch the door. Because they can't touch the door. Yeah. But also, like, we need to keep the door closed so that people don't come into our building and try to murder us, you know? Do they keep their front door closed? That's the thing. Their doors are closed. It's not like the doors to their own apartments are open. Mm. I've never seen the door to their apartment be open, but I do see that every Friday night, the door to the building is like propped open. Yeah. Or they'll they'll stand there and wait for someone. Like I'll come back and they'll be like, hey, can you hold the door? And then they might talk to me. Mm. But I, I don't know what their position is on Palestine. It'd be interesting to find out. It would be because as I'm doing more research on this, on the issue of Orthodox Judaism, I'm realizing that actually it's a much larger anti-Zionist community than I thought. Yes. We thought it was limited. I mean, I think there's this impression that it might be just like some fringe parts of Orthodox Judaism. That's what the Zionists try and propagate, that it's only a small marginal community of people who don't support Israel when it's not the case at all. Not the case at all. Like I fell into Zionist propaganda thinking that. If you've ever read The Empty Wagon by Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, and I recommend everybody check it out. It's a huge book. It's probably like the Torah for anti-Zionist Jews, right? It explains how Zionists hijacked Judaism, right? And then attached it to settler colonialism and a love of nationalism uh, that created a fascist occupying state. I've been watching a lot of his videos, Rabbi Shapiro. He's absolutely incredible. He just dismantles point by point every Zionist myth and brings everything back to what is Judaism. Judaism is respecting God's law, believing in God and respecting God's law as outlined in the Torah. That is Judaism. And he basically argues that what Zionists did was try to invent a new Jew. They tried to remove the religious obligations of Judaism from Judaism and replace it with this political ideology and say, okay, you don't need to do any of these things that are in the Torah. You don't need to respect God's law. You don't, you don't need even to do need to believe in God. Need, you don't even need to believe in God. But you can inherit his land. Exactly. Because we're going to redefine what it means to be a Jew. We're going to create this new Jew. And it's so funny because, you know, when you see what they're doing now, the Zionists with the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism and constantly trying to recreate and redefine concepts that have already existed. We don't need new definitions. They're trying to expand the borders of literally everything. Yes. They're not just gobbling up land. They're taking definitions and trying to expand them to include things that anti-Zionist Jews do so that we can now be called anti-Semitic, even though we are more dedicated to Judaism than the Zionists are. And the principles of Judaism, right? Yeah. So basically Rabbi Shapiro says they (laughs) de-Judaized Judaism, and then they replaced it with this political ideology called Zionism. And they said that all you need to do to be a good Jew is believe in Zionism and you don't need to do anything else. And so for people that actually are Orthodox Jews, it's actually a lot more common than, than we think for them to be anti-Zionist because yeah. they're Jewish and they're actually practicing their faith and they know that their faith has nothing to do with this brand new nationalist ideology that was invented you know, at the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, and just a few examples of that. Tubishvat is the day where Jews commemorate our connection to the natural world, to nature, to trees, plants, everything. During Tubishvat, there were illegal Zionist settlers, as well as the IDF and the government itself, funding people to burn olive trees that are thousands of years old. How can you reconcile that you are a Jew celebrating your natural connection to the earth while you are committing arson makes no sense furthermore during passover when jews commemorate diaspora Mm -hmm. there were illegal settlers in east jerusalem ethnically cleansing jerusalem on passover what everybody says the the prayer is next year in jerusalem it is not kick out a palestinian family next year in jerusalem right it is not create a assembly line so that you can 
take out their furniture and displace the whole family within hours in Jerusalem. This reminds me, when I was in Palestine, years ago, I took a photo in Kedemim Square in Yaffa, okay? One of our local guides showed us how there was a building that had been erected over 300 years ago as a mosque. And the Zionists transformed it into a BDSM dungeon. What? Yeah. Hundred percent. You gotta, you gotta do more than that. What are you talking? What? <laughs> <laughs> there was a building. There was a building that had been erected. Had been a mosque erected over three hundred years. Don't ago say erected. You know what I mean? Stop. <laughs> you gotta say it a different way if you're gonna tell me it's about BDSM later. <laughs> they built it. I they wrote an article. It. The Zionists. <laughs> Listen to me. I. We can cut this, but I just need you. No, to this, this is good content. <laughs> I wrote an article about this in Mondo Weiss in 2010. Mm, they, yeah. they had this contest, right, um, to send your best shots of Israel, you know, to try to rebut the narrative that, you know, Israel's this great place to go on vacation. Well, like, let's take some pictures of the occupation. Show us what Israel really is about, right? So what I did was I sent this photo of this building that had been built 300 years ago as a mosque, Okay. And in 2010, it was a hip Israeli S&M dungeon. And you could see, he showed, like, we saw the, the, the signs outside of the building. And, and he told me, like, he was translating what it was. I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I mean, Is that just, the type of place that one pays to get into? Do you have to be a member? What's? I don't know what they do there. I mean, I can imagine, right? but I don't know exactly what their business model is. It just reminds me of the Zionists removing the holy out of the Holy Land. You know what I mean? But that's what Rabbi Shapiro says. Yeah. That's what he says. Is he, yes. sa he says that this is a holy land. If you compare the way that the secular Zionists live with the Palestinian Muslims, it's very clear that the people who are upholding God's law are the Muslims and the Christians on the land and not the Zionists. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, the Electronic Intifada reported that Israel threw a Palestinian dancer into prison. This is just one of the numerous examples whereby Israel is threatened by Palestinian culture and finds Palestinian culture to be a criminal activity. The dancer who was arrested was part of the El Funun Palestinian Popular Dance Troupe. I actually saw them perform one time in Chicago. Um. They are a Debka dance group, and they perform traditional Palestinian dance. Um, beautiful, beautiful dance. You can check out some of their dances on YouTube. They have a lot of their performances up on there. I think it's really cool, the Debka celebrations, the performances. Mm -hmm. I've seen how younger generations will often serenade older generations with the Debka out of respect. And it's just like such a cool way to show respect for an older generation. Yeah, I mean, we learn, typically you learn Debka when you're, you know, very young and it's the dance of weddings. So every time there's a wedding, you're dancing Debka. But then also like, because you're Palestinian, you've been to a hundred weddings because you get invited to weddings, not because you're friends with the person, but just because they're Palestinian. Mm. And they live within like a hundred mile radius. So you get the invite. Yeah, and so numerous opportunities, a lot of opportunities for Debka. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so they arrested this dancer, Debka dancer, about a month ago. Um, dance communities and rights groups all around the world are now calling for his release. He was picked up in an infamous West Bank raid on his house. So we talked about how the Israeli military will just drive into a Palestinian town and kidnap people. Uh, at their will, and this is exactly what happened to Atta Khattab. And there, what's really interesting about this is that there's just no real reason why he would be arrested, other than the fact that he is a Palestinian dancer and he travels around the world to do his performances of Debka, and he he's actually quite famous. So, not only do they arrest our cultural icons. But they're 
people that have a certain level of notoriety and Israel is not at all ashamed to be putting them away. And this is not new, by the way, because Israel also used to jail our poets. Mahmoud Darwish was in an Israeli prison and Darwish was iconic. He was our most celebrated cultural figure. They threw him in an Israeli prison, you know, and a mm-hmm. lot of his poetry then became about that. Can you imagine you get to jail and they're like, what'd you do? You know? <laughs> and he says, well, I'm a, I'm a famous Debka dancer. What did you do? And they're like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I was just outside, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because there's actually no stated reason for which he was arrested. Israel has not had to justify this. You know, Nobody's asked Israel to justify this in the international media. So, of course, it just kind of flies under the radar. But his family says, we believe he was targeted for his work and safeguarding and promoting the Palestinian cultural heritage and the vibrant revival of the Palestinian Dubka. The, the group, by the way, has been performing since 1979, and it was founded by a small group of Palestinian men and women who wanted to preserve the authenticity of Palestinian music and dance, despite the hostility that they uh, receive from Israeli military authorities. And this is not the first time he was arrested. He's been arrested before. Others have been arrested for singing cultural songs. Just another feature of the Israeli apartheid apparatus. You don't even have to be a political activist to be arrested by Israel. You could be simply singing and dancing. It's extremely insecure behavior. Like, right? You know, it's so it's, insecure. It's like when you find out that your ex from years ago has blocked you. And it's like, I yeah. didn't even know you were still looking. Yeah. So insecure. First of all, you steal our culture. You steal our songs. You steal our dances. They stole our Debka too, by the way. They they claim that the Debka is theirs. They do the Debka at their weddings now. And it's like, yeah. I mean, it's just exhausting. It, it's it's so it's like so many layers of exhaustion. You steal our shit. You claim it's yours, and then you put us in jail for doing it. I mean, what? Yeah, and it's paralleled with how the white settler colonialists in the United States and Canada have stolen the culture, the music, the activities of the native people here. I actually came across a instance quite recently where an individual by the name of Terrell Tailfeathers, a native of Turtle Island, known by its colonial name of Canada, witnessed a group of white settlers imitating native drum circles. One white settler was dressed in native regalia, and Terrell said this uh, on his social media. He said, I stopped to take photos of them because one guy was in full regalia, treating it like a costume, and the drumming was all out of tempo. And I knew my people would not be crazy enough to be holding a cultural event during a pandemic. (laughs) Right. He says, so I went on a nice walk today. Then I heard some out of tempo drumming. And as I was walking in the park, I went up to investigate because the drumming didn't sound right. Uh, It turns out that some of the white people dressed up and acting like NDNs, uh, the native people. So I went up to them to take some pictures of them and then walked away but my blood started to boil and I thought not on my watch so I turned back to film them and say a few words as I was walking back the main guy in the costume asks me where are you from I turned around and I told him I'm Sikh Sikai Sitapi a Blackfoot NDN you are in my territory then I let out four loud war whoops before I walked away This is one of the reasons why I speak out about cultural appropriation. They wrecked my day, so I hope I wrecked theirs. Shout out to Terrell Tailfeathers. We had our show on Palestinian political prisoners last week, and we failed to mention this case, which, I mean, unfortunately goes unmentioned quite a bit, and that is the case of the Holy Land Five, who are Palestinian political prisoners in the United States of America. Who were all awarded? Who were? What were they awarded? I was going to say awarded sentences, but that sounds awkward. You don't award like it's not like like, thanks. I want to thank God and my family. Like it's. (laughs) I'd like to thank the justice system for framing me. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, the, the the Holy Land Foundation was 
a charity in the United States that was sending money to Palestine. And I remember when I was growing up, my parents used to donate to the Holy Land Foundation all the time. Every Ramadan, they were doing lots of good work on the ground, working with Palestinian children. And I mean, they were a humanitarian organization. They were providing people food, water, supplies, medicine, whatever it may be. The Holy Land Foundation was deemed a terrorist organization by the United States. And the people who were involved in this organization were handed sentences between like 15 some years to life sentences. Most of them are still in jail and they will continue to be in jail for the rest of their lives. And it's a really, really devastating case of injustice in the U.S. criminal justice system. It came after 9-11 when there was a groundswell of anti-Islam rhetoric going around and sort of blind nationalism that created an atmosphere where it was very dangerous to be openly Muslim. Yeah. And I mean, I remember around the time that they, they were arrested, my parents themselves became very concerned about their own activities. They realized like, okay, we can't just donate to any charity and that, you know, just being Palestinian in America, it's criminalized, much less any political speech in favor of Palestinian rights. It's a tough time. The first trial ended in, I think, a mistrial, and then there was a second trial, and they were basically, the court found that they that their activities were in some way or form related to Hamas, and that on that basis, they were aiding a terrorist organization. But in any event, like the fact that Hamas is even listed as a terrorist organization in the U.S., uh, that that in of itself needs to be challenged. Right? Yeah, the U.S. calling somebody else a terrorist is pretty rich. Especially after they were democratically elected. What do you know about that, U.S.? <laughs> yeah, so we just wanted to extend our solidarity to them. They there's been a lot of great documentaries about the Holy Land Five and a lot has been written about them as well. And we encourage all of our listeners to take a look at the sources that we post uh, to find out more about their stories. And shout out to their families who have been staunch supporters of the cause of Palestinian freedom, despite the fact that their family has been ripped apart by the U.S. government and the U.S. justice system. Miko Pellet, activist, wrote a book about their story called Injustice, the Story of the Holy Land Foundation Five, where he basically goes through and catalogs the trial of these individuals, their criminalization, and he dismantles the charges that were that were brought against them. According to Miko, the American justice system can convict 100 innocents for one who is guilty. If there's anything that the U.S. justice system is good at, it's getting plea bargains out of people who've done absolutely nothing. Yeah, it, it just points to the systemic problems that exist in our country's criminal justice system. It's just further proof of that. And you see cases like this. I mean, this is, by the way, the Holy Land Foundation, the U.S. government used to give money to the Holy Land Foundation. The U.S. government was funding part of their activities. And then they so, were like, we're going to go ahead and give money to terrorists directly. Yeah. And they were like, oh, and by the way, now you're the terrorist. Y'all are not actually terroristy enough until we say so. <laughs> but you're still terrorists. So now I'll go to jail. You know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> oh, my head hurts from all the... Why don't you... You should break fast. It's time, double, right? Well, no, my head hurts from all the double standards oh. and the the hypocrisy and the, you know? Mm-hmm. The yeah, exceptionalism they, and the all of it. They create the Zionists create this labyrinth of mental gymnastics that you have to go through every single day, and they are counting on people just getting tired and giving up. It actually hurts my brain sometimes. Yeah, as it should. You it's know. stupid. It's stupidity. It shouldn't be in there. All right. So if you get nothing else from this episode, call your congressperson. Tell them to support the new bill that was introduced by Betty McCollum and 13 other congresspeople, 2590. Make sure that you get in touch with your representative. It is so, so, so essential. We have a bill right now. It's one of the boldest bills that's ever been introduced that will condition aid to Israel. We need everyone on board. And it's a very concrete action that anyone can participate in. People are constantly asking me, Lara, what can I do to support Palestinian rights? What can we do? What can we do? Other than supporting BDS, which was the call that was issued by Palestinian civil society to combat Israeli apartheid and occupation, you can participate in the political process in the United States by supporting bills like this when they are proposed. It takes a tremendous amount of courage 
to stand up and put a bill like this forward. So every congressperson that has signed on to this bill, that has put their name on this bill, needs to know that they have our support and we need to encourage all of the other Congress people to get on board and make a very clear statement that supporting Palestinian rights is not political suicide in the United States. You can be on the side of human rights. You can be on the side of dignity and and supporting uh, equality and justice in Palestine and also maintain your position in American Congress. And not only that, but it's actually beneficial to you because your constituents and the people who are voting you in care about these issues. This is what we need to show them. This is the message we need to send. So everybody get on board. Call your Congress people. The U.S. Congress mostly just hears from the Israel lobby on this subject, right? What the United States Congress people need to know is that we have a lobby too, a lobby for and by the people who care about Palestinian human rights. We need to let them know that our pockets are also deep, right? We can fund opponents to challenge them in their primaries as well. And so- And we we have. We will. We have and we will. I mean, the, a lot of the people that signed on to this bill, it's their first Congress or their second Congress, right? Shout out Representative Cory Bush, for instance. Exactly. Exactly. So this is something that we're going to continue to do. And we need all the masses mobilized with us. And this is something that'll take you two seconds. It'll take you literally two seconds. You'll have a very nice conversation with people at Betty's office. You'll call up your congressperson and say the same thing. I, we can provide a sample script on our website for you guys to use. So feel free to consult that and just keep it short and sweet. And furthermore, if you're listening from overseas, I think you should also call Betty McCollum <laughs> and other Congress people who signed on to this bill because they should know that it's not just people in the United States that support this. Like, sure, it won't mean as much as a U.S. citizen, but it is meaningful to hear from people all over the world that this is the right thing to do. Well, yeah, that that also the international community is watching, that there is an international community that is paying attention to what U.S. policy is on Palestinian rights. So there's definitely a place for everyone to get involved and to make their voice heard on this issue. And we really, really hope that that this bill can move forward. It's it's not the first bill that was proposed on Palestinian human rights. it's, you know, it comes in a series of bills that were proposed that did not go very far. So hopefully we are getting closer and closer to the time when a bill like this is going to not only get proposed, but be passed. Let's get it to the floor. Let's get a vote on it. And let's make it law. Exactly. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. You can check out more information at www.palestinepod.com. You can also email us at palestinepod at gmail.com. We thank you so, so much for your support of the podcast. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review, and we'll see you next time on the Palestine Pod. It's the Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Sit down and relax. Palestine Pod. Palestine Pod. Expand your mind. Palestine Pod. Damn, you don't think you can just freestyle? No. You are Palestinian, bruh. The fuck? Yeah, I know, but I'm also, I just prepare and I'm I don't give a, a you I'm... are not more lawyer than you are Palestinian. You are Palestinian. <laughs> Speak about Palestine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I know, I know, I know. It's just that all I have is questions. Okay. okay. Well, luckily you also have answers. Zero. His phone number looks fake. It's the type of shit you would give to a dude at a bar that you never want to see again. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, my number is like 17, 12, 32, 40. You start calling out football audibles. 47, 43, blue, 17, 17. I'm going to keep preparing. <laughs> you should keep preparing because I know it makes you feel better. It does. You should yes. also keep dressing like a crip headed to a quinceanera. <laughs> I took out my hoops because I was like, maybe that's overkill. Oh, yeah. You did have the hoops, huh? I did. Yeah. Initially, when you had the hoops, I was like, she getting ready to fight.